we are back in the book of Romans. And uh, we, before Easter or Palm Sunday, I guess, we had our last lesson in Romans when we were in the eighth chapter of the book of Romans. And uh, we were studying the subject of uh, the, uh, the adoption, the word adoption, explaining that the word adoption refers to the resurrection. It is the adoption not of the Gentiles into the family of Israel, as many people think it is, but it's not that, because it talks about Israel uh, also being in the adoption. But it's referring to us, our natural bodies being adopted to a heavenly body. And it's brought out very, very well here in the scriptures. Uh, It talks about, like verse 23, 823, it says, not only they, but we ourselves also, which have the First fruits of the Spirit, even we ourselves grown within ourselves, waiting for the adoption to wit, the resurrection of our body. So the adoption is the resurrection of the body, and we talked about that in our last lesson here two or three weeks ago. Today, I want to pick up a little further on in this eighth chapter of the book of Romans. I'm going to start reading here a few verses here, verse 28, but it's to do with a subject called predestination. I want to talk to you about the, the subject of predestination. Let me read these verses to you here, and then I'll explain what predestination is and, and how it applies or what is, how it's involved with, uh, with the religious thinking. <clears throat> if you look in the 28th verses, and we know that all things work together for good to them that love God to them who are the called according to his purpose, verse 28. Then it goes on to say in verse 29, for whom he did foreknow. Notice that, whom he did foreknow, that means knew way in advance. Whom he did foreknow, he also did predestinate to be conformed to the image of his son that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. Verse 30 says, moreover, whom he did predestinate, them he also called and whom he called, them he also justified and whom he justified, them he also glorified. And uh, then over in the book of Ephesians, uh, it mentions the predestination as well. This twice mentioned in Romans, twice mentioned in Ephesians. These are the two places in the Bible that is mentioned, and both places it's mentioned twice. Over in the book of Ephesians, it says one and one four, according as he hath chosen us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before him in love having predestined us unto the adoption, predestined us unto the adoption, that's the word adoption again, that is unto the resurrection of children by Jesus Christ to himself, according to the good pleasure of his will. And then in that same first chapter of Ephesians and in the 11th verse, in whom also we have obtained an inheritance being predestined according to the purpose of him who worketh all things after the counsel of his own will. Uh, One other verse I'm going to read to you here that strengthens the position of individual uh, predestination, which I'm I'm going to tear it all apart in a few moments with scripture. I'm going to show you what the Bible really says about it how and why this is in here the way it is. And then I'm going to have you read over here in Revelations chapter 17 and verse 8. The beast that thou sawest was and is not and shall ascend out of the bottomless pit and go into perdition. 
and they that dwell on the earth shall wonder whose names were not written in the book of life from the foundation of the world. You see that? So there is the appearance that we are, have been predestined. And the reason I'm talking about that to you here today is because that there are denominations, whole denominations that believe in predestination, that individuals are predestination, predestined to be saved or lost. Now, uh, you know me, I do not, I do not slam re- other denominations or religions. I, I leave that, I leave that alone. You know that. I will be talking about some denominations today, though, but what I'm going to be telling you is common knowledge about them, and, is, and, and all theologians know it, and it's no big secret. But I'm going to mention some of these to you so you understand that. When Martin Luther in 1517 nailed the 95 Theses on the door of, uh, of that church there in Germany, uh, saying this is what needs to happen to reform the Catholic Church, and that was all he really intended to do to start with, but in doing that, he created a revolution within the religious atmosphere of that day and time <clears throat> that created and brought about what's called the Lutheran Church. Uh, Martin Luther did not try to change some things, but some things he did change. We're saved by faith and not, uh, not by works. He, that was his emphasis. Only he added to the word alone. We are saved by faith alone. It, the Bible doesn't say alone. He added that. We are saved by faith alone. But he emphasized we're saved by faith, not by works. That is the works of the law. When it says works, it's not talking about, you know, talking about the works of the law or else trying to work our way to heaven and so forth because the Catholic Church was big on that. If you worked hard for the Catholic Church, you could, you know, get points and you could go to heaven and so forth. So he refuted all that. This was Martin Luther's position. Uh, Some, I don't know, maybe uh, 20 years later, there was another man who came on the scene by the name of John, uh, John Calvin. John Calvin was from France, very brilliant man. He was a lawyer and uh, had went to law school and so forth, became a preacher. And uh, he started reading the scriptures. He read these verses where it talks about we are predestined. And he said that we were born to be saved or we are born to be lost. From the very beginning, when you're born, you're going to be saved or you're going to be lost. And then he uses the word, the foreknowledge of God, and another place that speaks about the elect of God and so forth. And he says that from the very beginning, we we're born to be saved. This is, was John Calvin's view in, uh, in France because he was not Catholic, he opposed the Catholic Church. He was eventually sort of uh, run out of France. He went to Switzerland, and in Geneva, Switzerland, he established uh, a great church there, became the leader then of, of a church out of Switzerland, finally all over Europe, we call the Presbyterian Church. And he was known as Presbyterians. The, uh, the Lutheran Church under Martin Luther still believed in transubstantiation, which is the belief that when you receive communion, the, body, the, the bread is literally turned to the, blood, the body of Jesus and you drink the wine and the wine is literally turned into the blood of Jesus. They believe that literally. It's called transubstantiation. It's believed by the Catholic Church and they believe that the priest is the one that has the power to change that when you receive what they call mass. You, you, all of you are familiar with this, I know, to some degree or another. Uh, they, Luther also believed the statues in the church was no problem if you wanted saints all scattered around, it was okay. Uh, John Calvin, on the other hand, said there is no transubstantiation. Uh, the difference between Lutheranism and 
Catholicism was that Lutherans still uh, retained transubstantiation, but they believed that it was God who had changed it, or it was Jesus Christ who changed it. It was not the priest. That was the only difference. But whenever Calvin came along, Calvin said, there is no transubstantiation. We do this in remembrance of him. And he's right there because the 11th chapter of 1 Corinthians brings this out very strongly. That as we do communion, as often as you do it, do it in remembrance of him. It is a memorial. It's not a, it's a, not a thing that we have to do. They believe that that's how you get Christ in you. I'm talking about the Catholics and the Lutherans. That's how you get Christ in you is by taking communion. So you have to go to church and you have to do it on a regular basis. We understand that it is by the spirit of God that Christ comes in us. We understand that. But they, uh, they did not have that understanding at that time. And when churches were established or denominations, it was hard for them to ever change. John Calvin came along and he said to Luther, he said, you need to understand here this doctrine of uh, predestination. And Luther looked at it and said, I'm not going to go there. I'm going to stay away from that. But John Calvin then began to preach that, and he was very brilliant. Man wrote a lot of writings about it and so forth. It came to be called Calvinism. You're born to be saved, born to be lost. It's called predestination. It's common knowledge, and it's found four places, and of course, in the New Testament. This is the belief of the Presbyterian Church, that you're born to be saved, born to be lost, and there's nothing anybody's going to ever be able to do anything about it, and, uh, and so forth. The thing that they did, though, they said no statues in the church. So they had some good points as well. I'm just telling you what was going on in that period of time in the 1500s whenever they were breaking out of the way from the Catholic Church and all this conflict. was going. England had John Knox, uh, you know, that was doing a great work in England trying to break from the Catholic Church and establish the Bible. And they began to translate then the Bible into German, translate the Bible into French and translate the Bible into English. Different things begin to happen like that. People begin to read the Bible and they begin to see all these things. There was a group of people that was in that Eastern Europe area that uh, was called the Antibaptist, Antibaptist, anti, not anti, but anti-ATA, Antibaptist. And uh, they were very supportive of And they started immersing people. They said, you got to immerse in water and everything. This group eventually adopted the beliefs of Calvinism that was predestination, born to be saved or lost, only they modified it. They modified it. And they said that it's not, we're not born to be saved or lost, but when you are saved, you can't ever be lost. Once saved, always saved. You understand what I'm saying? And they, they became, as we know in America, when they finally came to this country, they came, came to be known as the Baptist, you know. I'm not saying anything negative here about anybody. I'm just saying, but most of you know that if you know anything about the Baptist doctrine, they believe that once saved, always saved. You can't ever be lost. So if a person gets saved and they walk down the aisle and they join the church and so forth, they're saved. No matter what they do, they can go out here and sin, do all kinds of things. It doesn't matter. You won't ever be lost because once saved, always saved. You understand what I'm pointing out here to you? And this is called Calvinism. Now, I'm telling you that because all of them felt like that they were getting all of this from the word of the Lord. Uh, later on in the 1700s, there, there was the, uh, uh, there was the, the, uh, the uh, Wesley brothers, John Wesley, Charles Wesley. John Wesley was the founder of the Methodist church. And uh, Charles Wesley was his brother, and he was a songwriter. He wrote over 5,000 hymns. A lot of the songs we even sing are in our old hymn books in the church here now. I don't know if we still sing them very much, but they're in, the, in our songbooks. 
but I'm just trying to say beautiful hymns and so forth. He was a great songwriter. So with that, they advanced uh, a great revival in England, powerful England in England, move of God. They were out of Oxford. When they were students in Oxford and others with them, they formed a club. They call it the Methodist Club. It meant holiness. They said, we need to live holy, be righteous, live for God. And they prayed a lot. And when they went out from that Oxford University to preach the gospel, then they went out and they started preaching. <clears throat> the churches of England wouldn't have them. You guys are too strict. You're trying to make everybody line up to holiness. Uh, we, we, they, they, won't, they won't put up with it. So then John, John Wesley said, the world is my parish. I mean, and that's my church is the world. So he went out and started preaching to the coal miners, had great revival in England, turned England upside down with revival and so forth. And I'm just telling you all of that because the Methodists said, no, no, it's free will. Whatever a person chooses, we do not believe in Calvinism. You understand what I'm saying? So you've got the Presbyterian church that believes that we believe in uh, predestination. You've got the Baptist who said we believe in, in eternal security, which is sort of a, a, sort of a small part of that. Uh, that once saved, always saved, and you can't be lost. They don't talk about it once lost, you cannot be saved. They don't mention that end of it and everything. Wesley, Wesley with the Methodist church, they said, no, it's free will, whatever you do. And of course, others uh, as well, you know, churches of, uh, uh, of Holland and, and so forth. And there's all kinds of denominations. You well know that. And I won't get into all the other things, branches and so forth. But I'm just telling you where, and this is called Calvinism. It is the belief that we believe that once saved, always saved. And that, or we believe that you're born to be saved or you're born to be lost. And I'm going to tell you what the scripture says today. Everybody ready for this? And then I'm going to explain it, show you scripture. And then I'm going to show you the answers to what we've been talking about here so that we understand this. So I'm dealing here with a doctrine here that's very common in all Christianity and it's all in the book. It's in the book, folks. The answer is right here. The book's right here. So let me show you, first of all, let me show you another scripture that, uh, that the Calvinists uh, also hold fast to. And I guess I, uh, I guess I read that one to you. That was in Revelation 17, 8. Did I read that verse of scripture? I'll read it again. The beast that thou sawest was and is not and shall ascend out of the bottom of the pit and go into perdition. And they that dwell on the earth shall wonder whose names were not written in the Lamb's book of life from the foundation of the world, meaning that their names were written in the book from the foundation of the world when they beheld the beast that was and was not. So these are people whose names were not written in the book of the foundation of the world. So that means there were people who were. You understand what I'm saying? It's sort of referring to the indirect. And I mentioned that to you and everything. So this is another one that Calvinism says, you see, your names are written in the Lamb's book of life from the foundation of the world. Can I just give you the answer to this verse right now and settle it? And I'm going to show you other verses in a minute that will substantiate what I'm saying here. If you look at that eighth verse very quickly here in 17.8 of Revelation. The beast that thou sawest was and is not and shall ascend out of the bottomless pit and go into perdition. They that dwell on the earth shall wonder whose names were not written in the book of life. This is all about prophecy. And I'm not going to get into that. Incidentally. We get through the book of Romans. I may talk, I may get back into prophecy some. There's some things happening in the world today that's tying in with prophecy in the Bible amazingly. And I may talk to you a little bit further about some things like that in some of our lessons coming up. Everybody's still with me though. I know I digress sometimes, but stay with me on this. It says, they that dwell on the earth shall wonder whose names were not written in the book of life from the foundation of the world. 
It's not their names written in the book of life from the foundation of the world. It's their names written in the book of life from the foundation of the world. The book of life is what's from the foundation of the world. You understand? And that's what this verse is saying. Their names were not written in the book of life that is from the foundation of the world. The book of life is from the foundation of the world. It even speaks about the book of life over in the book of Exodus. Whenever the Lord said, if somebody, you know, if you do not serve me and live for me, I'll take your name out of the book of life and so forth. So I'm just pointing that out to you. So when somebody says, oh, you see, our names are written in the book of life from the foundation of the world. It either is or isn't predestination. No, no, it's talking about our names are written in the book of life and the book of life is from the foundation of the world. Everybody understand that? That's a minor little thing, but that's just the understanding there. And when I show you other verses in scriptures, you say, oh, okay, I understand because it all lines up with what I just said here. Now, let me move into some of the things here. Let me show you uh, the, 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 the idea, the thoughts that you're born to be saved or you're born to be saved. Predestination, Calvinism, let's just call it Calvinism. Uh, Calvinism is, is that belief that you're born to be saved or you're born to be lost. If you're saved, you will always be saved. If you're lost, you can always be lost. You'll die saved or you'll die lost, whichever it is. You're born one way or the other. And that's really what they, was, they believe because they believe that your name's written from the foundation in that book that's your name's written from the foundation of the world. In other words, at the beginning of time, your name was already written in the book of life. They believe that. And they don't understand that it's the book that's from the foundation. And then they said, you're predestined. Okay, here's, look at this verse of scripture. I'm going to show you some conflicting verses. Everybody with me? And then we're going to show you what the answer to all of it is. Here's 1 Timothy 2 and 1 through 4. Look at this with us. 1 Timothy 2, 1 through 4. I exhort, therefore, that first of all, supplications, prayers, intercessions, and giving of thanks be made for all men. Put a ring around the word all if you got your Bible. For all men. And let me just say this for all of us here today. This is in the word of God, and it's what we should do. I'm going to read that next verse to you. So if you're, if you're real politically hung up, get over it. <laughs> get over it. Go look at that next verse. For kings, it says, pray for all men. Uh, Verse 2, for kings and for all that are in authority, that we may lead a quiet and peaceable life in all goodness and honesty. For this is good and acceptable in the sight of God our Savior. So pray for your president. I don't care whether he's a Democrat or Republican. It doesn't matter. Just pray for our president. The Bible says that. Pray for your governor. Praise the Lord. Pray for our senators. Pray for our representatives that we may have a good life, quiet and peaceful life. Everybody with me? You say, oh, Brother Martin, no, you're not. Well, I'm just reading the word here, okay? <laughs> Every man, don't, have a, don't, don't pick a fight with me on it. It's the word of God. But pray, praise the Lord, for men who are in high places that we may be blessed. That's what it's saying here. Now I'm going to move on into what I'm getting to here. It says, verse 4, who will have... It says, verse 3, I'm going to read that again. For this is good, acceptable in the sight of God, our Savior. Verse 4, and God, our Savior, as you know, is Jesus Christ. When the one God is our Savior as well, Jesus. The verse 4, who will have all men, put a ring around all, all men to be saved. To be saved. It doesn't say some will be saved, some will be lost. 
It says, who will have all men to be saved and to come unto the knowledge of the truth. It is God's will that all men be saved. All men, meaning men and women. Now that's one verse. Let me give you another verse to go with that. Look over in uh, in 2 Peter. And this is Paul writing to Timothy. This is Peter writing over in 2 Timothy, uh, 2 Peter rather, chapter 3 and verse 9. 2 Peter chapter 3 and verse 9. This is Peter writing. So you got Paul's testimony, you got Peter's testimony. And this is what it says in 2 Peter 3, 9. The Lord is not slack concerning his promises as some men count slackness, but is long-suffering to usward, not willing that any should perish, but that all, that all, again, put a ring around all, should come to repentance, not willing that any should perish. So these are scriptures in the Bible. You know, they're saying that it's not God's will for anybody to perish. God so loved the world. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believed in him. God so loved the world that who believed in him should not perish but have everlasting life. So it's God's will that, that everybody be saved, but everybody is not going to be saved because God has given mankind a free will, a free will to be exercised. And that's what John Calvin, the head of the method, that's what he understood. And others too, Luther understood that. That God has given us a free will. And so these verses here tell us that, uh, that it's God's will that anybody be saved. If it's God's will that anybody be saved, then how can some people be born to be lost regardless of what you do? You know, you're born to be saved or you're born to be lost. How can it be that if it's God's will that all men be saved and all men come to repentance? Okay. Uh, let me give you a few other verses. Also in that doctrine of Calvinism, of predestination, it's the belief that once you're saved, you can be saved. And once, once you're saved, you're eternally saved. You can't be lost. In other words, once saved, always saved. That's carried over into the, into the Baptist faith as well. Uh, see, the Baptists got into this so strongly, they started saying, why send missionaries? Why send missionaries to foreign fields if they're born to be saved or lost? You know, that's why. And, and what happens is their denomination begins to die. They, they're not missionary minded or nothing. The Presbyterians got into that mode. And the, uh, the Baptist faith as well. They said, that's where you had the missionary Baptists. You ever heard of missionary Baptists? There were people who said, no, we do believe in mission. Then they had the free will Baptists. They said, no, we're Baptists, but we don't believe in, pre- we don't believe one saved always. They, we're free will. We believe that you've got a will. But we're still Baptists because we believe in immersion of water, in water and so forth. So these are how some of these other branches of denominations sprang out and going to go. I want to show you uh, something else here. I want you to look with me, if you would, in, uh, in, uh, that anyone can be lost. Anybody can be lost. Look in Romans 11.20 with me. Look in Romans 11.20. We're in the book of Romans there in that uh, eighth chapter still. But go to Romans 11. Look in the 20th verse here. And what I'm pointing out to you here is that it's God's will that all men be saved and whoever is saved can be lost. You're not predestined to be saved and you're going to be saved regardless of what you, what you do. And is, there is no eternal security. Look, look at this 20th verse. It says, well, because of unbelief, they were broken off. Speaking of Israel here. In other words, he was saying they were the olive tree and God broke off the olive tree and put it, grafted in a wild olive branch. 
and that was the Gentiles, and they became the olive tree. And then Paul writing here in this 20th verse says, well, because of unbelief, they, the Jews, were broken off, and thou, you Gentiles, standest by faith. Be not high-minded, but fear. For if God spared not the natural branches, take heed lest he also spare not thee. In other words, you're not just automatically saved just because your name's written in a book of life someplace or you think it is. Okay, look at verse 22. Behold, therefore, the goodness and severity of God on them which fell severity, but toward thee goodness. If thou continue in his goodness, if thou continue in his goodness, we got to stay saved. We got to keep living for God. We've got to continue on walking with the Lord. It's not like, said, I went to the altar, I got, I got I repented, I got, I got baptized and everything. Maybe even saying I got the Holy Ghost and so I can do anything I want to do, live any kind of way I want to live. I'm saved, I'm in the faith. Nothing can happen to me now. No, 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 no. Because it goes on to say here, it says, but toward thee, goodness, if thou continue in his goodness. And then the last line uh, in that 22nd verse it says, otherwise thou also shall be cut off. That means that even though any of us may be saved, we can be lost. Praise the Lord. Remember what Jesus said? Remember Lot's wife. She was saved, brought out of, of Sodom and Gomorrah, but she lost when she looked back. God didn't turn her head back. She, she looked back herself. That was her choice. And the angel says, go and flee the city and don't look back. Don't look back. And she had to look back because that's where her heart was. Her heart was back there. And she still liked, you know, the tea parties and all the gossip and all the stuff going on, I guess, in the city that, uh, that, that she, just, she hated to leave this, that place. She loved that world, everything. And so Jesus, in one verse, it's not the smallest. When Jesus wept, the smallest. But I think the second largest, smallest verse in the Bible is remember Lot's wife. Second, second smallest verse. Remember Lot's wife. And so Jesus says that in the midst of all these kind of things. Everything. So we're looking at verses here that tell us here in Romans uh, 8, uh, 28, that these things, amen, are for us to understand here that we are not to uh, fail. This is Romans 11, 20 and 22. Uh, look in 1 Timothy 6. I want to finish what I'm talking about here on this. First, 1 Timothy 6 and... Uh, Verse 9 and 10. 1 Timothy 6, 9. This is Paul speaking here. And this is what he says here. I'm talking to you that anybody can be lost, but they that will be rich fall into temptation and a snare and into many foolish and hurtful lusts which drown men in tradition and uh, in destruction and perdition. Verse 10. For the love of God, uh, pardon me, for the love of money is the root of all evil, which while some coveted after they have erred from the faith and pierced themselves through with many sorrows. Again, this is somebody who started out with God and the deceitfulness of riches caused them to fail the Lord. The Bible says that they that fell, the seed that when it fell upon stony, thorny ground, the thorny ground represented they, those who are caught up with the cares of this life and the deceitfulness of riches, and they became unfruitful in God. 
So I'm just pointing out to you here that God would have us not to get caught up in the cares of this life, but to stay focused on God, be a praying person, because any of us can be lost. Let me give you some other verses. Praise the Lord. Go to Revelation chapter 2. I'm just... uh, Go to Revelation chapter 2 and verse 5. Remember therefore from whence thou art fallen and repent and do the first works or else I will come unto thee quickly and will remove thy candlestick out of his place except thou repent. And this is the Lord talking to the, the church of Ephesus and the church of Ephesus was one of the seven churches. But he says, you're saved, you're God's people, you're God's church. But you can be lost. Everybody still with me on this point? I'm just pointing out to you here that God would have everybody to be saved. But any of us that are saved can be lost. And then he goes on. I'm just giving you a lot of verses here so that we understand how, how, how important this is. Verse 21 says, I, speaking about Jezebel, he says, I gave her space to repent of her fornication and she repented not. God gave her space to repent because he wanted her to get saved and get straightened out. That's what it says here. God gave her space to repent of her fornication and she repented not. Behold, I will cast her into a bed and them that commit adultery with her into great tribulation except they repent of their deeds. So the, uh, the, the, uh, the understanding here is simple that if they would repent, they can still be saved. But if they don't repent, they're going to be lost. You see what I'm saying? So even when you're saved, you got to keep living for God. And all through this uh, chapters two and three of Revelation talks about these seven churches. They were all God's church, but any of them could be lost. I'll read another verse to you here. This is one over in chapter, in verse 10. This is still in chapter three, verse 10. It says, so then because thou art lukewarm, neither cold nor hot, I will spew thee out of my mouth. It means I'll get rid of you. In other words, you're not going to stay. So I'm pointing all these things out to you so that you understand here that anybody can, can be lost, that nobody is just locked in securely and that nothing can ever happen and so forth. Uh, another verse I'll read to you that's in Revelation here that's to do with uh, the, uh, the book of life and so forth. This is in 3.5, in, in Revelation 3.5 here. He that overcometh the same shall be clothed in white raiment and I will not blot out his name. Out of, the book, out, uh, out of the book of life, but I'll confess his name before my father and before his angels. So notice that phrase, I will not blot out. He that overcometh the same shall be clothed in white raiment and I will not blot out his name, which means that if your name's in the book of life, God can blot it out. Now, let me just explain something to you. When we are saved, our names are put in the, in the Lamb's book of life. There is a Lamb's book of life. And when we're saved, our names are put in that book. It's not guaranteed it's going to always be there. It can be blotted out. We see that here all through the book of Revelation. Your name can be blotted out. If you decide you're not going to live for God and you fail the Lord, you strike out your own way and so forth. There's a lot of people make a start for God, but they don't continue on. When the Lord talked about the sower went forth and sow, he sowed some, some seed, you know, on uh, on good ground, sowed, sowed some by the wayside. Then there was some that he sowed on stony ground. They started living for God. They loved God. They went to church. They started praying. But in time, they got offended by the word. And next thing you know, they went out back and went and did their own thing. They lost out with God. 
And so that's what all of this is talking about. Anybody can lose out with God. So I'm pointing out to you here that there is a many scriptures that let us know, and I could read a lot more to you, but I'm not going to take all the time to do that because I want to talk to you more about the answer to all of this. But why did the Bible talk about predestination? Everybody ready for that? Everybody ready for that? Now, we're going to talk about the predestination part here. I want you to, uh, if you would with me, look, uh, look in Romans, if you would, please. Look in Romans, back to the Romans chapter 8, where we started out. The answer is found in the Bible right there itself. I'm going to read these verses again, just a couple of them here, and I'm going to show you some things. Everybody got your pen sharp? I'm going to show you the answers right there in the scriptures. This is what it, this is not a predestination of individuals. It is speaking of the predestination of the church. Not individuals, but the church as a body. And this is what it says here in verse 28. And we know that all things work together for good to them. Notice the, the, the plural pronoun them. And we know that all things work together for them that love God, to them who are the called call according to his purpose. Verse 29, for whom he did foreknow, he also did predestinate. Speaking of the church, not individuals in the church. All right? To be conformed to the image of his son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. Verse 30, moreover, whom he did predestinate them, not him. It's not a singular factor here. It's them. He also called and whom he called them, he also justified. Whom he justified them, he also glorified. You understand what we're pointing out to you, the, the plural pronoun factor here. Uh, down in uh, verse 31, what shall we say then to these things? If God be for us, who can be against us? It's speaking of the church. It's not speaking about you and me as individuals. I'm not predestined as an individual. My name is not written down in the Lamb's Book of Life. The Book of Life is from the foundation of the world. But my name is not written down in the Book of Life from the foundation of the world. It's written down in the Book of Life that is from the foundation of the world when I got saved. I'm the individual. And folks, the key is that the church is predestined. The church is predestined to be saved. There is going to be a church. It's called the kingdom of God on earth. And then one day the Lord's going to take it out of the earth and take it to heaven. It's his kingdom, the spiritual kingdom. He said, my kingdom is not of this world. My, my kingdom does not come with observations. My kingdom is, is in you. It's not, you don't see it. It's inside of us. It's the spirit of God. It's working within us. It's like leaven working, praise God. It's, uh, it's working people witness to another and so forth. His kingdom is like this. And the Lord's kingdom, praise the Lord, is that that's on this earth. And we, and it is predestined to be saved. I don't care what comes or goes, the church will stand. Upon this rock I'll build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. And you can trust that. Stay in the church. Did I just say that? Stay in the church. Praise the Lord. See, I'm not predestined. You're not predestined. But the church is predestined. Stay in the body of Christ. Go to church. Don't let the devil keep you out of church. Don't let things keep you out of church. Don't let the cares of this world keep you out of church. Don't let the deceitfulness of riches. I'm going to get out and make a lot of money. Don't let that keep you out of church. 
But you go to the house of God. You be in the house of God. And when you get there, worship God and praise the Lord and glorify his name. Folks, you can come to the house of God with all kinds of problems. But if you will begin to worship and glorify God, I guarantee you when you leave the house of God, you'll say, I don't know how it's going to all work out, but God's going to take care of it some way or another. Or I think I got an answer while I was in the house of God. You know, I've been in, I've been in this thing now over some 60, 65 years. I don't know how long, but way up there. <laughs> it's a long time. And I, and I have found that God is faithful and true to his word, and he will keep his people. He'll keep his hand on us. He'll never leave us nor forsake us. But we have to say, God, I want to keep on worshiping you. I have gone to church when I was so down, so down. I mean, I felt like the bottom had fallen out, everything. And I remember that, that my old pastor said, always worship God even when you don't feel like it. And I'd say, Jesus, I love you. I love you. I lost my job one time and I thought it was all over with. I can't, I just, I can't make it. I can't make it. I lost my job. They told me, come back Monday and pick up your paycheck and pick up your paycheck and all that stuff. I said, all right. And I lost my job. And I went home. I was a single guy back then. I threw my, my jacket on the floor and laid down on the floor and wept a little bit and sobbed over and everything. Got through with all that. And then I said, Jesus, real quietly, I praise you. Because I remember what he had said. And I began to worship God and glorify God. And the next thing you know, I was praising him. And for two hours, I walked the floor and just worshiped and glorified God. And I said, I don't know what's going to happen, but it's going to all be okay. When I went in Monday to get my paycheck, they said, we decided we don't want to fire you. We want you to transfer you to another department. Is that okay with you? I said, yes, fine with me. Amen. When I went to the other department, they said, oh, by the way, you make more money here than you did the other. Oh, by the way, by the way, it's easier work than where you were before. (laughs) I'm, I'm telling you, it's the truth. I'm just saying that, you know, you don't always know. It doesn't always happen like that. I know that. But I learned to just worship God anyhow. Sometimes you've come, you come to church and you sit down in the back and you say, you know, I'm just lucky to be here. Today is just one of them days. I just, I'm just barely here. But while you're sitting there and you feel like you just barely squeaked in and barely sit down and squeak down and sit in your seat, Say, while I'm here, though, I'm going to praise the Lord. I'm going to worship. You don't have to run the aisles. You don't have to be the loudest guy praising God or anything like that. Amen. But, and you don't always have to be on your feet, you know, and shouting and dancing. If you just lift your hands and say, Jesus, I love you. I praise you. I worship you. I glorify your name. You're the greatest thing that ever happened to me. Thank you for all that you do for me, for my home, for my family. Thank you for everything. Thank you for my family. Thank you for my wife. Thank you for my, if you're a man or a husband, if you're a woman. Thank you for my kids. Thank you for my grandkids, if you've got grandkids. Thank you, Lord, for uh, the home I live in. Thank you for the job I have. Thank you for the clothes I wear. Thank you for the shoes on my feet. Thank you, God, for your presence, your power. Thank you for the church. Thank you for our brothers and sisters in the Lord. Man, you can go on and on just thanking God. Thank you for the padded pews, padded seats. I, I've sat on pews when there were benches, you know. And when you, when you get up and you went to the altar, everybody had red streaks on their back where they'd been sitting on old pine, you know, pine benches. I've been there. I've been seen. I've done all that, you know. And nobody cared because you said, we're in the house of God. We're come to praise the Lord. But we got padded. You know, we have every reason in the world to be here. We have every reason in the world to worship God and glorify God. And don't let Satan ever get you off on texting stuffs and and figuring your checkbook and messing around with all that dinky stuff. But be in the house of God. When you're here, be here. Praise God. Amen. God bless you. Hallelujah. And all of these things.
I want to finish up here. I got a few minutes here and I'm going to finish up. But if you read all of these verses, right on down from 29, right on down through 30, uh, I think it is 36, I believe it is, one of these verses. The last one, 39 it is. Every one of them is a plural pronoun. We, uh, it talks about us. And uh, I can't even, I mean, I could read it all and you'd be bored to death. But it goes on about how Christ is with us. He's on our side, everything. But it's speaking about the church being predestined, not you and I as individuals predestined. Do you understand what we're pointing out to you here? And that's the important thing to understand about that. The same thing is found over here in the book of Ephesians where it talks about predestination. I'm going to flip back over to uh, the book of Ephesians here, and then we're going to wind this up. Ephesians chapter 1, verse uh, 4 and 11 talks about the predestination part, but when you begin to read the verses around it, for instance, Ephesians chapter 1 and verse uh, 3 it says here, Ephesians 1, 3, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who hath blessed us. Notice the plural pronoun here now. Us with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places according as he hath chosen us in him before the foundation of the world that we should be holy. He has chosen us before the foundation of the world, not as individuals, but he has chosen us as a church. I hope I'm getting across to you. This is really important. He's chosen us as a church. Praise the Lord as the body of Christ. Praise the Lord. We as the body of Christ. That's why we've got to stay in the body. Got to stay in the church. The church is going to be saved. I as an individual, I don't have no guarantee that I'm going to be saved except I stay in the body of Christ. Praise the Lord. Stay in the faith. Amen. Walk with God. Serve the Lord. And this is the point that I'm making here. And then it goes on to say here, before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy. We again, the plural pronoun holy and without blame before him in love, having predestined us unto the adoption and so forth, children of Christ in him according to the good pleasure of his will. And if you read right on down, sixth verse, seventh verse, it's we, us, it's all talking about uh, these things about ourselves. Right on down uh, when you read all these verses through 14, and then when you get to 15, and this is important here, because there are some people that says, oh, Paul just used the plural pronoun because that was just his way of talking. In other words, he was saying, uh, I, we will do, I will do this. He says, we will do this. Or this is all about us. Or he just says, us rather than me and so forth. That's not the case. He's talking about the church that when he gets to the 15th verse, all of that language changes. Look at the 15th verse of of, of, uh, of Ephesians 1, 1 15. Wherefore I also, he, notice he doesn't say we, he doesn't say we here anymore, but he's talking about himself now. He said, wherefore I also, after I heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and love unto all saints, chose not to give thanks unto you, making mention of you of, of his, and so forth. And from here on air, he talks about them in that sense of the word. And then he talks about himself in a very singular manner. And he talks about individuals then from their own uh, as he rather than them. Now, the reason I'm telling you all of that is because the Bible tells us very clearly here that the, the, uh, the predestination factor involved here is all about the church itself. Praise the Lord. It's about the church of the living God. And aren't you glad you're in the church? Aren't you glad for God's goodness? Folks, stay in the church, stay in the faith, walk with God, be faithful to the Lord. 
and God will never fail us. But you've got to stay in the faith, got to stay in the church. The church is going to go. Empires have come and gone, but the church has stood. The church has stood. There was a banker one time in this city, told my son when he was a young guy, he said, if you'll give your time and attention and give your life to the banking industry, we'll make you somebody in the banking industry. And uh, one requirement, you got to give up the ministry. He was you know, a young man in the ministry. He said, no, I can't do that. Uh, some month later or so, he just, he just resigned, never stayed with that bank and everything. He said, listen, you need to give up that church because there's a great future in the bank. The bank that he was at had been sold three times. So it's right down here. It's, it's one of the banks here in town. And I won't tell you which one it is. But anyhow, it was, it's been sold three times. You know, that bank went out of business, sold to another bank, another bank, another bank. Everything. I was with one of our brothers whenever he had a chance to buy that bank building at an auction. And over in Orlando, they were auctioning off commercial property. And he had a chance to buy that building. I said, that's the one that the guy told my son, that you have a great future with this bank. And he said, yeah, now the building's for sale and the bank moved on. They don't even exist anymore. But the church is still here. <laughs> the church is here. He's the pastor. You know what I'm saying? I'm telling you, folks, you can't go wrong staying with God in the kingdom of God. And the church will last. Empires rise and fall. Nations rise and fall. The church, though, has gone, continued on. The gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Stay in the church. Stay in the faith. It's predestined. And one of these days, the trumpet's going to sound. And the dead in Christ shall rise first. We which are alive and remain shall be caught up to meet the Lord in the air. And so shall we ever be with the Lord. Would you stand with me? And let's just lift our hands and worship God and thank him. You've been such a great audience here this morning. Lord, we love you so much. We thank you, Jesus. Bless this congregation this morning. Bless all of these dear saints of God, all of these good people. We thank you, Lord, for the privilege to study your word. Thank you, God, for truth and salvation. In Jesus' name we pray.